How we doing everyone? This is Luke. I'm here with E and this is the official relaunch of the Take It Deep podcast brought to you by Jones and for Sports. If you haven't, go follow us on all the social medias. It's all in the same place where you can find anything by Jones and for Sports, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Um, just let us know when you hear it, when you what you think, any feedback, we welcome everything. Now, joining us today, we have not only a former major league scout we also have a former major league player. So if there's anybody that we would want on this show, especially the relaunch episode, it feels it feels perfect that we have someone with this level of knowledge joining us on the show today. Um, so please, I know you know you can't clap, but Mr. John Updike, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you. Again, we've, we we love having guests on, but especially people who can not only you know speak to baseball at the ex-player, scouting, and now the analytics and player development level. This is like this is this no pun intended. This is a home run. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, we we got a little bit of backstory on you from Sean, and it was you know obviously very interesting read. Um, but I guess before we dive into the questions about what you used to do, I guess we should probably ask you about what it is you do now for the game of baseball, which is from the analytics and the player development uh, standpoint. So is I, there, yeah. Yeah. So what, what would you, what can you tell us about your, your current venture, um, which I believe is called baseball cloud. Well, what, what we do at baseball cloud is we're the analytics platform or software platform uh, for college baseball and amateur baseball in general. Mm. Every major league club has uh, like their analytics software that they individually use to use for player valuation, uh, evaluation, and then uh, now they're starting to figure out how to use it for development. What we've done is uh, since you at the amateur level, you don't have to evaluate a player and you don't have to evaluate a player. We're, take, we're passing over all the evil and going right for the good. What we're doing is, is taking the good things about analytics in the game, um, in-game metrics uh, and technology, and helping coaches adapt it to their, uh, to their uh, own individual you know, uh, coaching philosophies so they can blend it in and accelerate improvement of their players, uh, which is really important at the four-year level because the NCA has incredibly strict uh, restrictions on the amount of time that you can spend working with players. So it just, once again, we make sense of something that's complicated and make it uh, just create a simpler way to uh, for players and coaches to digest and understand uh, the metrics that are out there. That's fantastic. Um, I actually had no idea the NCAA was so stringent. I guess because why? Are you guys like qualified in like a third-party kind of – Unsan- like not unsanctioned, but like they can't control you, so they limit access in a way. No, I mean for um, no the NCAA like the rules that they have for athletes because they're. I mean, I've myself, I you know, I, as I've also as a college coach, they're students first, mm-hmm. so they pl- they place time restrictions. You know, it's not like at a or at least at a, at NCAA institutions specifically Division One, like during the fall they're greatly limited on the amount of time that coaches can interact with the players. Uh, it's to, you know, keep them from having there from eight in the morning until 
six at night, you know, right. uh, as a coach, we'd like to have them 24 hours a day, but to make sure that they have uh, enough time from a school perspective, from a study perspective, and then also uh, from a social perspective, they have to allow for that as well. Uh, so in order to cram in all of the, you know, training that you need, uh, technology is playing a huge part in, in making things more efficient because also unlike a major league club, where it's just not your coaching staff that you've got, but at, um, you know, heck, the major league level, you might have, you know, 30, 40 people in support staff behind the scenes that help the players. It's not that, you know, at a few power fives, they, they have pretty, you know, robust staffs. But for the most part, you're looking at, you know, like three paid coaches and two volunteers or, you know, like a graduate assistant uh, to manage an entire Division One team. Right. So uh, what, what we end up doing is, is we take away the need uh, for analysts. We do the we do everything for them and, and make it very digestible where coaches and players can access it from an iPad, from their phone, from a computer and, and uh, already have an understanding. You know, we go kind of right to the matter with it. Um, along with it, we're kind of changing the, the look of um, what analytics are instead of it being. Like right now in our 2.0 version, it's a lot of, um, I don't know if you know Baseball Savant, a I lot do. of graphics influence. But where we're moving to is is uh, 3D visualizations, almost like video games. So mm. like a spray chart to us in the future, and, and when the future is probably going to be in March, uh, instead of a kid looking at a sheet of paper or a screen with dots on it and a field, they could literally stand at home plate and see the trajectories of all of the balls that they hit hmm. going away from it. So it, it puts them in a, it, it just provides maybe a different way to reach players, especially this generation, you know, uh, you know, they've been raised on phones and video games and they're very visual. Right. And it's just another, you know, it's just another tool to get across what us coaches, you know, have been saying for a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. Um, real quick, cause I mean, this is all to me, super fascinating. Even when I worked at like Dick's Sporting Goods and I used to manage a baseball yeah. store, you know, a baseball specific store. Um, I remember we used to sell a product called the blast monitor when it initially hit the market. Do you, are you yeah. guys integrating technology like that or similarly technology that's found in, let's say the golf world where you said you're using motion capture in like 3d technology. Yeah. Like I can, I could tell, like even in, you know, I mean, I play slow pitch softball now, far mm -hmm. leap from Division One baseball, but you can always tell when someone's like dipping the back shoulder or just their swing plane is off. Is is that the 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 immediate goal other than just handing a, a kid like a, a spreadsheet full of numbers that they may not be able to kind of digest and pick apart? Yeah, and and the thing is, they've got no chance of picking apart. Uh, you hand them a spreadsheet. It's really all of this technology has, you know, has, has derived from the golf industry. And it always has in our game. Going back to like when I first signed in 93, um, we, we had uh, the Sony swing cams that they used in golf. And it was like groundbreaking that you could look at your swing or you could look at your delivery. Right. Now with the technology, um, like I said, I, the the majority of it uh, derives from golf. The, and we look at it this way. So like the Holy grail is in game capture. Right. So that would be uh, like TrackMan. man. Yeah. Yacker tech is a new technology that we're using. 
We use flight scope. We digest everything. Hmm. Um, we kind of have to play Switzerland in this because <laughs> we want to be able to provide our clients all of the, uh, you know, like we've got, like I was at a client today that has Yakertech or they have a Yakertech unit installed. Whereas I'll be at another university in the SEC tomorrow and they have a TrackMan installed. Um, the thing is, is the machines all really produce kind of the same information. Mm -hmm. What we're able to do is kind of clean and digest it. <clears throat> um, swing sensors, I'll give you a funny story about that. Like, I, I'd say I worked for uh, for Sandy Alderson and Paul DePodesta. That's, you know, Moneyball. Right. And uh, when, when Sandy was our GM for the Mets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Paul was like a mentor to me. And I really wanted to impress him. So it was like, okay, let's let's integrate some technology. So actually, one of our, one of the unnamed sensor companies uh, contacted them. I would do this workout of like the top 25 players in the Southeast in January. We'd do like a day in a life of the New York Met. Um, and what I wanted to do was start to capture metrics because nobody really knew what they meant in the first place. But I was like, well, let's at least try this out and see how it works. So spent all these weeks orchestrating this thing, got to the day of doing this workout, and the damn thing didn't work. They could it, they, it, it, you know, like they look cool, but we couldn't get them to think. We couldn't get them to do what we needed them to do. And it was, it was frustrating. Then three years later, just little changes in the technology and technology, just like players, it evolves every six months, right. you know, like it changes, gets better with updates. We were now using like the past two seasons in minor league baseball from high A down. Yeah. Uh, at least in, uh, with the Mets organization. We, we were using swing sensors on every single batting game. Wow. And yeah. And so it, the mixture of like what a swing sensor does, it gives you pre impact data. All right. So it tells you about the characteristics of the swing. Mm -hmm. And then what a track man or a yacker tech or a Hawkeye does, it gives you the ball flight characteristics. Okay. And that's really where you want to do it. Like when you're, if you're on the range and you've got like a sensor on right? and you're hitting on the range, that's one thing. What I really want to know is, is what happens when I'm out there on the seventh hole. Well, it's the same thing in baseball. Right. We want to find out what's happening in games. So like a guy like Pete Alonzo, mm -hmm. if you grab, if you grab Pete and Pete hits off a tee or front toss, he'll give you a crowd, you know, a high seventies, maybe an 80 mile an hour bat speed, but he gets into a game and it might be 66 you know, 68 miles an hour, uh, right. you know, it's, it's what you have in practice isn't always what you have in game. So for us, our focus has been, we want to be, we want to, we want to be the leaders in, in capturing the end game, but then the accessories, which would be like swing sensors, mm -hmm. um, biomechanical information, <laughs> which is that's fixing to change the game. The mm -hmm. biometrics are going to, are really going to, if everybody thought analytics was a coup, you ain't seen nothing yet because um, <laughs> what's fixing to happen at the major league level with Hawkeye is going to drastically change the way you view the game and also how we identify and, uh, and sign players, you know? Oh. Um, but the cool thing about using like accessory, you know, like swing sensors and biomarkers and biosensors right. are that now when I've got like, I, like a 14 year old kid, I know from, from our research that we've done, there are predictors. So I can see a, you know, like a 14 year old kid that's like 5'11, weighs 140 pounds, soaking wet. Yeah. And, but I, I, I can see one trait that he does. Yeah. Extremely well. And what I'll do with that is, is now I know I want to follow that player because 
they're all going to get bigger. They're going to get stronger. I'll watch this player develop, but he has an elite trait that right. we can identify. It's like part of their DNA. That's kind of a unique way to think about it. It's like you're 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 searching for small bits and pieces that could become something unique or elite down the road. Right. You know? Well, it, it, it seems like it's almost fair to say that, I mean, obviously your knowledge as, again, player, coach, scout, you know what to look for. But when you're looking at just any of these players, like you said, looking for like that one distinguishable thing that they excel at, it seems like yeah. you know. It seems like you're almost like a truffle pig looking for like that 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 little bit of gold that you can build off yeah. of, right? You know, because there's so many baseball players in this country. I know, you know, the 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 attendance for you know little league and RBI may not be through the roof the way let's say lacrosse and soccer are trending upward, but there's still a a, a hundreds of thousands of, of players in a talent pool that you can pick and choose from. You know, yeah. I, and, and, and it's, and even from like, from that perspective, like from a pro and even now a college perspective and how you evaluate players, like I've never thought of scouting to scouting what the technology allows us to do. Like when we look at players, the younger they are, we're looking strictly at tools right. as a college player. Now you're looking at tools, but also a combination like their body of work. So, mm-hmm statistical analytics, things like that. So like the money ball model was for a player, think of it like a pie chart. A third of it was your area look. So it'd be the area scout. A third of it would be the national view. So your national scout or scouts. Mm-hmm. And then the third of it would be statistical analytics. Well, teams that were money ball influenced usually drafted more college players because they were safer. They had clean numbers on them. Yeah. And then occasionally would pull like an upside guy. All right, hmm. and we'd had a lot of success doing that. What I noticed two years ago in the draft in the draft room, and really in baseball, not specifically us, but just in the game in general, yeah, was the model changed and shifted. It went to a, a quarter of, of acquiring the player was the area look. A quarter of it was the national look. So half of a player's traditional scouting. The other half of a player was statistical analytics, and then this new piece that came in there was hmm. metrics. And what metrics would be, for simple terms like TrackMan, but metrics could be uh, video, in-game, in-game metrics off of a TrackMan or Yacker Tech. Yep. Um, and then maybe bio, you know, biomechanical information, anything that you could get. So the deal with Moneyball was if I had two, two pieces of the puzzle, mm-hmm. I could acquire the player. And now with the new model, I've got to have three pieces of the puzzle. So right. I, I, I can say this, I, I you know, Tiles on the board, there's track man information on every single player. And, and I don't, I, I, over the past two years, I don't think we selected a player that didn't have track man information on him. So what that said to me was, you know, knowing the landscape at the amateur level, if that's where this is going to, there's, uh, you know, obviously a learning curve that happens with it. But the importance of being able to get the information and get the machines, A, more cost effective, mm-hmm. more accessible to the amateur market so that just not, you're not just being judged, but you could use it to help yourself in development to improve, whether it's, you know, obviously everybody dreams of playing professional baseball. It's, it's, and it's a, you know, it's a tough road to hoe, you know, oh, yeah. but on the college end of it, our college clients are like power five schools. Mm-hmm. They're approaching acquiring players and recruiting players the same way. 
So like, and, and they're not working on like senior in high school. Hey, he's a good senior. We're going to sign him. I, I've got division one schools that are working on their 23, 24. They're, they're working on eighth graders yeah. on recruiting part. So you're talking about 13, 14 year old kids, right? You better have some, you better have some rock solid information uh, because it's, you know, it's people's jobs on the line. So right. it's more than just the eyeball test. It can't be the, you know, the, the early mature kid with a mustache when he's 13, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's gotta, you've got to have something in there. And that's where I think the digital scouting uh, ideal that we're, you know, idea that we're, that we're working on can help schools make better decisions. And yeah. honestly, at the end of the day, it, it just helps everybody spend less money because you can, you can get information from showcases or from tournaments remotely. Yeah. And the numbers don't lie. So I can say, okay, this is, we value, let's say my team values exit velocity. Right. And, you know, as most clubs do. So what we can do is we could look at it and say, okay, we, we're, we value exit velocity and we, we value these swing characteristics. I look at from those events, circle those players, put them in a bucket and then, those are the kids that we're going to recruit because they have traits that we value. And then the traditional scouting aspect and, and recruiting aspect comes in, which is finding out, Hey, do I want to bring this kid into my family? You know, because a team's a family an organization's a family. Of course. Is this, is this a good, good kid? Is this kid going to be able to handle playing on a, you know, on a large stage? Uh, does this kid work hard? You know, all of the, the makeup aspect of it, which really, that's kind of the secret sauce in, in all of this. There's a lot of guys out there that are tooled up, but there's not a lot of guys out there that have elite makeup, you know, and, and you can do a lot of work on it. And there's, there's, there's things that'll lead you down the road that, okay, this, 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 I see these things in this player and this individual as a person, and then you create a belief in them. But at the end of the day, until they go out on their own at the, at the college level or at the, specifically at the professional level, mm-hmm you don't know how they're going to, you know, really how they're going to react to it. And you, you try to get gather as much information as possible because uh, it's important, man. People are trading draft picks um, at colleges. I mean, there's, we've got SEC schools now with $65 million stadiums. Yeah. You know, there's college coaches, there's college coaches that make more than major league managers. So also there's, true. you know, there's a lot on the line. <laughs> Well, right. Well, I mean, obviously, there's stadiums in the SEC like Alex Box. That's, I mean, yeah. that's the first one that comes to mind where that stadium sells out every game or pretty close. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and, and in the South, sports are specifically in the SEC, sports are king. I mean, there's there's no yeah. debating that. Um, now, I know, E, you had a couple questions for John, right? Because. Obviously, it's rare, like we said, that we get somebody with this level of, of knowledge <clears throat> to, to the program. So we have some questions for you. Obviously, I could talk to you about analytics and, you know, the difference between DRS versus UZR for days. But, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, if, if you don't mind, um, I know E and myself have some cur- have some questions about not just the current state of baseball, but... Some other stuff as well. So, uh, E, you ready? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we do that, I do want to ask you a question. You know, you did mention, you know, all about your scouting, and you mentioned a tad bit that for the Mets. Just give us how how did you become to scout for the Mets? Well, I, you know, obviously, I 
I I played and then I was a, a actually I played and then I got into golf and tried to be a pro golfer for a few years and failed horribly at it, almost as bad as my playing as my baseball career. And then um, I, I was lucky along the way. I, I I'd always played played in from my high school and college and pro ball. I had tremendous coaches and I and I knew that I wanted to be involved in the game. Um, and I started to get the itch of wanting to go into coaching and instructing. So I, I after I uh, gave my shot at at, uh, at you know being the white Deion Sanders playing baseball and golf, <laughs> um, I it, it was I wanted to 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 impact kids. So I, you know I coached in college for for a long time, um, and coached at a level that I thought I could make a really good impact at and. Uh, was at a JC, a junior college in Florida for a long time. And, and it was great because I got to work with kids that became major leaguers and also the kid that was a little engine that could, that nobody made an offer to her and they were a walk on. And, and it, it's great when you get the challenges of working with those levels of guys, um, doing that and coaching in the state of Florida, especially at, at the tier school, because you're dealing with all of the professional teams. And then you're also dealing with all of the four-year schools because they're trying to get your players as well. Um, just really built relationships. And, you know, um, I had, you know, my, my, my children were younger, were younger at the time. And I, I knew how much time was involved already from a coaching perspective. But on a scouting perspective, you know, you're on the road upwards of 300 days a year. So I want to make sure that my kids were old enough before, um, and I really didn't even realize how much, how much, how time consuming it was, but, um, you know, let them get to a certain point before, you know, I left the house for six months out of the year, you know, and, uh, I was very fortunate, uh, with the Mets, uh, Steve Barningham, uh, who was my, brought me in. He was my first cross checker. Uh, he gave me an opportunity and, and the staff that was there, uh, Tommy Tanis, who's the uh, current VP with the Mets, and Mark Tremuda, who was our assistant. Now he's the he's now the scouting director. Um, they were wonderful, man. They it, I always say it's kind of like Mont- it was Montessori education. Mm. Um, there wasn't like, hey, there's a scout school or a book or a manual. It was, you want to be a Met? And I said yes. And then like a week later, they dropped the Impala off at my house, a computer and a radar gun. And so go, go, go get him, Chief. And and I, honestly, that was the best way to, to learn how to do it, was get in the car, go. And the only thing that they encouraged was go after the guys that you like. Obviously, we all scout the top 100 players in the country. Everybody's chasing those guys. But, um, you know, where you really make your mark in the draft is from the 11th through 40th round. Yep. And, and over, uh, you know, I think as an organization, we did a tremendous job of that. I had a lot of luck there and they gave me a lot of, they gave me a lot of leeway. Um, you know, we, at one point we had more after 10th round top 30 prospects than all major league teams combined. Wow. So like, you know, like obviously like Pete Alonzo, I mean, you know, and even with Pete, cause man, we fought over Pete cause he was really our third pick. You know, I mean, every major league, every major league team basically passed on him twice. All right. So it wasn't like he was a shoe in or anything like that. Um, But like, I've got a kid that's in big league camp right now for the Mets, Jordan Humphreys. He's a 23 year old right hander from Crystal River, Florida. We're probably the only team in major league baseball that turned the kid in, 
you know, and we drafted him out of high school, signed him for 150 grand, and he's a major leaguer now. Yeah. And you get that you get that kid in a late round, that's a win. You know, um, there's obviously it's, it's more risk and you know there's less risk. Uh, it's you're you're betting on the upside and you're betting on your player development and you're betting on your scouts, you know, and the player and and it was really cool that they allowed that you know the, us the ability to be able to do that you know um it was it was really unique we we you know uh, what has ever happened with our with the organization with through trades and some of the things that have happened over the past few years where we had to get rid of a lot of our top prospects but still there's really big impact even like mcneil's a great example of that as well yeah. mcneil's a, a late pick that you know nobody really wanted or passed on and didn't see it. And from an organization standpoint, we saw one trait in him that we valued. And then and the kids got incredible makeup and, uh, and drive and work ethic. And, you know, we gave him the opportunity and it's amazing what happens when you get an opportunity in our game. So, yeah, but that is the same thing. That's why I look at it from a scouting perspective. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I've looked at it as a, it, it, it's a hell of an opportunity and, worked my brains out, had, had a lot of success with them and, and, you know, love them and miss them. I met for life, but, um, this was an opportunity to go into an aspect of the game. I thought I could make, you know, make an impact on our game and, and, uh, and learn and be challenged and learn something new and, and understand what's coming next because technology is not going away. You know, like the Astro scandal is not going to throw a, (laughs) throw a rock in the road on this one. Um, you know, it's just going to become more and more and more. And, but we've got to be, we've got to become better at digesting it and understanding it and making it, uh, making it where everybody else can understand it because people, they're not going to, our game gets too complicated. If our game gets too, too crazy, nobody's going to watch it, man. You got to keep the simple beauty of the game yeah. along with the information that people <clears throat> want to pursue it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, like like Luke said just before, you know, Luke Luke is more of the analytical analytical guy on this podcast. So he, yeah, like he said, yeah. he can talk with you. So I'm just gonna ask you some questions based on like this upcoming season and to see. My first question is, which new addition do you think makes the biggest impact this season on their new team? Or for or for which club? For in general or all? Yeah, all in over general, like club? whatever. What the whatever newest additions that you feel this off season would have the biggest impact, whether it's Mookie Betts on the Dodgers or Cole on the Yankees. Yeah, I I think there there's a couple. I one like from a Mets perspective, I think Priscilla mm-hmm. coming over. I think that's gonna really. I mean, that could be a five headed monster in that rotation. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, and Matt Matt is able to you know. Matt is able to get through a season and stay healthy. What they've got with with Thor and with Jake and with Strowman, that could be just an absolute, you know, like Braves type, you know, rotation if they mm-hmm. can all stay healthy. I think I I, I think that would help carry uh, what the Mets are, you know, what what the move the Mets are trying to make. But on the other end of it, yeah, dude, Mookie going to L.A. That's unfair. And then the, the, the fact that like, I'm, I'm, I'm like dry, you know, I, I'm listening to MLB network everywhere I go. I'm driving this morning down in South Florida and uh, going to a college to visit those guys. And 
and I'm listening to, uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, uh, Jock, you know, Jock coming back, you yeah. know, and with a smile on his face. And I'm like, the rich get richer, you know, yeah, really. it's, it's, yeah, it's theirs to lose, you know, um, and then adding price into the mix with that, you think about two generational left-handers on that staff. Yeah. There's some really, there's some really special teams that are out there. The, the thing that's tough though, in our game is, is this, it's very top heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a few teams that are just incredible draws, you know, um, it's really tough to keep up with the Joneses, you know, and, and that's, that's the, that's the tough part in our game, you know, and I think like with what, you know, commissioners doing, even with some of the ideas with the playoffs and with even some of the rule changes, they're trying to, you know, trying to create more level playing fields. But quite honestly, these are superpowers yeah. that they're creating, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, there's gotta be a tragic combine accident have to happen for the Dodgers not to end up in the playoffs and quite honestly for the Yankees. Yeah. You know, they're just they're they're so damn talented and so deep. Yeah. Could not agree more there. So keeping, you know, with all these moves, obviously there was a lot of talk this off season with Lindor possibly on the move and Arenado on the move and Look how long it took this Mookie Betts trade to happen. Do you think we see one of those other two guys go? You know, I, I in a way, I mean, like with uh, Lindor, I've I've seen I've watched that kid play since because he he actually went to school like twenty minutes from where I live. Oh he, wow! Um, that's I, I've been able to see him play as a as a kid and watch his career. Um, you know, obviously everybody. For the Indians, the Indians do a tremendous job of. Uh, it's a, they're a great organization, and they do a great job of player development. They've never been in that that situation to be able to go out and buy pieces and really, you know, kind of push it over the top. I think they're in a situation where they're going to have to let him go, but or have to move him. But the pieces that you would have to give up for him or what they're oh, going to ask yeah. would be, you know, the superpowers don't need him. You know, so like him going to L.A. or going to New York, it's, you know, yeah. it's overkill a little bit for them. It's unnecessary. And it's not going to be cost effective for them. So yeah. so that next tier of clubs, which would be, um, you know, like Philadelphia, the Mets, um, you know, clubs like that, that are large market clubs that could sustain his salary. And, you know, he's really the face of the organization when you bring him in. Yeah. And what you're going to have to give up would put you back like three steps, yeah. you know, and, and that's the difficult part of it. You know, like the, the move that I looked for, I was like, I kind of, even over the years I was looking at it, I was like, man, if, if he ended up in a place like Atlanta, oh, you know, God. it could be with, with kind of the core of what they've got there, it could really be a huge effect on that organization, you know, on that organization. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, uh, with, Arenado, same thing. That what they're going to ask, you know, what they're going to want or ask for, is going to take a club that's maybe fighting for like a, a, uh, you know, like a wild card spot, and you can't leverage your future on that on that aspect of it. If you're in that middle of the road, maybe you know, okay, we'll do this almost like as a rebuild. We'll we'll rob Peter to pay Paul and get this guy in here. Um, but I, I think. Um, you know, eventually both of them will. They'll both be moved. 
It's just it's difficult for people to bite the bullet <sighs> and give up prospects, you know, right? Because the there, there's value. We did it. I mean, look at the effect <sighs> of what we had uh, with the Mets when we gave up uh, Kelnick and Dunn and and uh, you know a couple and uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, yep. you know, over the past couple of years, you know, to get Cano and to get Diaz. And if it doesn't work out right away, man, they're going to be on you. In the long term, it like it, it you know, it may be the greatest move ever, but right. it's it's difficult to give up major league talent, and that's really what, even like from a draft perspective, what it's become. You know, the draft is about that those first you know really 50, 60 picks, and you're trying to get you know you're trying to get guys that you can draft that could be traded or moved for major league talent immediately. You know, and that's kind of a new concept that's happened in the past couple of years. And, you know, even to a point, I think we caused it a little bit with the with the Kelnick and, and Dunn trade. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm glad, you know, you brought up the how, like, the impact of giving up prospects. Would, because my next question is, which, which of the top prospects that are major league ready you think will make a – somewhat not it don't have to be a carrying a team but just a little bit of an impact on a major league roster this year wander franco yeah, will become i knew, the I knew that was coming <laughs> i knew that That's was coming yeah I, but i'll tell you this one there's a cat the blue jays have named nate pearson uh, yeah he's and, a stud uh, big yeah big big monster right-hander and same thing i was fortunate enough to uh, I, I know him and, and have watched him since his sophomore year of high school and and watched this kid progress. I think that is that he's going to make a huge impact. What the Blue Jays are doing is so awesome. Yeah. They've got such a cool young core of kids that are relatable. It's, it's almost kind of tough for baseball because they're in Toronto. You know, it's it's like if they were in a different, if that group was in a different market, they could really exploit that uh, with Machette and. Uh, you know, and the and the and Vigio and and uh, Vlad Junior. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think I think uh, Big Nate, if because there's also this thing where guys they would protect guys up to a point and you know worry about the service time. Mm-hmm. I think what you're seeing now, and like almost like a shift in the game is where instead of holding them back, go ahead and get them there, and if they have an impact, re up their contract like after two years. Yeah. And 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 go at a mid-level contract. So, like, it, where you could get them for five years, it gives a player two paydays. Yeah. It gives an out for a club, uh, and everybody's happy. And I think that's where, like, in the past, you know, like teams would stranglehold these players and try to keep them down as long as they can. And then now you don't have any choice. Everybody's looking for that huge payday. I think kind of the shift that's, you know, listen, there's two or three guys like the Betts of the world and Trouts and yeah. and guys like that. But, yeah, you pay for those guys. Um, but, you know, like uh, like oh, Alonzo is a great example of that. He comes out and has another another solid year. Oh, yeah. You know, an impact year. Wrap that cat up in a bow. Take care of him until he's, you know, until he's 29, 30. Give him an opportunity at two paydays. It might be a, he might, you know, that's, I think that's where Major League Baseball is moving to. It's, it's, it's a better economic model. I think guys are happier. I think agents are happier. And I, I think there's something too, um, you know, clubs are building identities. Right. Because they're businesses, they're marketing themselves. 
and and you've got to have that face of the franchise. And if you constantly are shuffling guys in and out, it's difficult to do that. True. You know, and and you know, you think of like a Jeter. You know, really, I mean, that, Jeter Yankees. That's it instantly. Right. Trout Angels. You know, they become the identity of that organization. Um, you know, and that's I think that's where you're you're looking for. But now Nate Nate Pearson's one. I hope that they don't hold him back and get to see him in the big league level because. 100-mile-an-hour fastballs and 95-mile-an-hour sliders are a beautiful thing. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, my last question, speaking that, you know, it, it wouldn't be one of, especially because, you know, me and Luke are, sorry to say, we're Yankee fans. That's fine. Huh? you got to be <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. Um, we have to talk about them. So give us just a quick thought on how do you think Cole's first season with the Yankees is going to be like well I, I there's you know the beautiful thing about pitching is and he's not like switching leagues right you know um yeah i think it's yeah and 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 the the other part of it is is like where houston used to be a passive environment so like you see some pitchers that pitch well in you know mid markets all right new york is the largest sports stage in the world mm-hmm. all right and the one cool thing about Houston you know, that, that you could see with them was um, that it was rockets. He was able to handle that type of, you yeah. know, he was able to handle the craziness. I mean, we'll see. I mean, nothing prepares you for New York. Yeah. But um, he was also I there for playoff it, Pittsburgh, too. Let's not shortchange Pirates. Yeah, I think was, and, and, and Pittsburgh was like passive. You know what I'm right. saying? It's, you know, Pittsburgh's. You get done with a game, and there might be like one interview, and you go home. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, New York. New York. You, you know, you you get in a cab, and they're you know like, that's what I love about New York. You fly in, you get a LaGuardia, jump in a cab, and they're ripping you on the radio. Yeah. You know, you you've got to be able to have blinders and handle that. I think he's at a point where he's old enough now, mature enough now, uh, focused enough that it's. Um, you know, he'll thrive in that environment. I, I, me personally, I'm a pitching nerd. So <laughs> like, I I'm excited to see him do his thing. You know, I, I think that it's, it's one of those, you know, almost to me, like going back to like Clemens, you know, like you, there's guys that you want to see pitch on the, see pitch on the biggest stage of the world. Yeah. And I think the cool part, another cool part of it is, is that, that idea in that town, you've got really the two of the best arms or three of the best arms in major league baseball you know, right across the river from each other, yeah. you know, and I think that there'll be, you know, New York's unique because you, you, you boot up the paper every day and there's that battle between the two. And yeah. it's like, that's something we haven't had in baseball for a long time. You yeah. Know? You started to see it a little bit with CC, but like with, but like, uh, you know, having, you know, th- that caliber of pitcher that, you know, is going to fill the park every time that he goes, people get behind it i think he's going to just absolutely thrive in that environment i don't think he'll miss a beat and i think um you know the the dynamic of of the of the club that they've got in new york is going to play really well to you know to what he does anyway you know they're going to be able to they're going to be able to have some firepower behind them if they can keep people healthy you're right (laughs) let me let me transition you back to the the scout front office mindset for my couple questions here so so i I just mentioned the pirates 
And obviously for yeah. those for those two games, those two wild card games, unfortunate losses. Yo, you saw a fan base that was that had been dragged through the mud, almost worse than Cub fans for about a twenty five year period. Yeah, and I look at the Pirates now, and this is before even before they they did a disastrous Chris Archer trade. Yeah. Um, but I if you look at like the bottom third of of team spending specifically. Basically, like, you know, not Toronto, because we know what Toronto's doing, but, you know, and, and not Baltimore or Miami, but I look at a team like Pittsburgh or, like, currently the Indians are 25th in total payroll. Um, and we know that there's a luxury tax in, in our game. Do you think there should conversely be a, a minimum spending cap so that there can be some sort of, like you would mention, competitive balance? I I I feel like if you force teams to spend at least let's say eighty five million as opposed you know you can't say one eighty like the Yankees but some good number I I think would be good for baseball. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there's you know there's everybody's got you know think of it this way the 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 differences between the NFL and the NBA. I mean, obviously the NFL and the NBA are regulated. Yeah. Um and and they put a really a really solid structure in place just for survival of their leagues. Um, and Major League Baseball, you're starting to see more of a shift towards that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got their individual businesses. So you've got teams that are corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're big. They're big. You know, they're Amazon. And you've got teams that are mom-and-pop pizza shops. <laughs> they're expensive mom-and-pop pizza shops. Yeah. But they're pizza shops. Right. And – the way the structure is with major league baseball right now, you literally have clubs that are receiving money from MLB and from other clubs, you know, basically like, I don't want to say life support because I've got (laughs) other terms for it, but, but they don't, I mean, they're making money, but they're letting the, you know, the, the other revenue pay for their, I mean, hell, if somebody else is going to pay my salaries, I'm going to let them pay my salaries. And right. I'm still going to have relatively the same gate, you know, and and that's what a few of the smaller market clubs have done rather than trying to go out and, and you know, and win a championship. Um, you know, I do believe that, you know, you're going to have they're going to have to do something on it, like in, in my crazy mind, because I'd sit behind the wheel and think about how do you solve these things. Right. I know that they're going to expand. They're going to expand Major League Baseball. Yeah, so you're going to add more clubs. And, you know, there'll be West Coast clubs. So, I mean, you might, it might be like Vegas and Portland, yeah. Charlotte and Montreal. Yep. All right. The, the, if you expand it by four teams and you expand the playoffs, it's going to dilute the game a little bit, but it's still going to build the revenue structure. Yeah. And honestly, I wish they had relegation like they've got in European soccer. <laughs> where if you, if you suck, you get sent out of the league. And, you know, but <laughs> it, it, that's never going to happen. No, no way. Um, but, yeah. I think having having minimums, and then also uh, the idea of, of tanking the past few years. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's so much. You know, listen, there's so much value to those draft picks. Yeah. There just are. You know, and and teams would fight for it. And think about it. If if somebody else is paying your paying your salaries or a large portion of your salaries for you, right. and you can continue to get majorly a value for major league talent through the draft, and you don't have to win, and people still come to the ballpark, yeah, why do it? You know, it's it's 
that's their business model, you know, but once again, fans get fed up with it. And, you know, and the, you know, baseball is a 40, 40, 20 rule game. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, you're going to win 40%, you're going to lose 40%. It's the 20% that dictates championship teams and, and average to below average clubs. Right. And I think there's been like this, you know, like one or two clubs out of the gate are like, all right, yeah, we're nothing's happening this year. But like clubs will like they'll they'll play up till like the All Star break, and then they figure out, okay, now we can go all in. Yeah. You know, okay, now it's worth it to add to it. Um, I think that they if they added an incentive even from a um, like first like winning the first half, winning the second half, as far as like home field advantage or like even like with you know they're trying to get creative on the playoff end of it, but more incentive to be able to keep people drawn in to win. Right. You know, it's, um, you know, a big, a big part of it. And then also I think that the idea that the worst teams pick first is crap. Honestly, I, I, I think, you know, I think eventually you're going to see a restructuring of the draft, you know, like how, when I got drafted teams went like a hundred rounds still, you know, <laughs> and then they capped it. And, um, you know, and now we're at 40 rounds. You introduce the international draft. Yeah. I think if they end up um, going to like 20, like 20, 25 rounds, increase the, um, increase the, the late, you know, like the later bonus picks. So like right now it's like 125,000 uh, slot for everybody 11th round through 40. Yeah. Increase that a little bit. So you solve a little bit of the issue of the despair, you know, of the low pay for minor league players and those kids actually being able to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but along with that, maybe move into a lottery, you know, where, okay, your bottom 10 that don't make the playoffs because, you know, commissioner is like, <laughs> he wants everybody in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but something that, that it's not a given, you know what I'm saying? Where it seems like, all right, we know a month out, we're going to, we're going to lose, you know, all but five games to guarantee that we get the first or second pick of the draft. Right. Make it to where it's not a given that you're absolutely going to get that pick, you know? Right. To deter it away. All right. That's, <clears throat> I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you just said. And it's funny you actually mentioned the international draft and the possibility of that, because I have a question here that says, <laughs> in your opinion and from your what you physically witness as a scout, does domestic or international scouting tend to yield more MLB players, like players that actually reach the show, as opposed to peak at, let's say, double A? Well, I, I think that it's just a different dynamic. Um, I mean, obviously, when we look at it, there's impact. When you're looking at impact major league talent, right. all right, so guys that are sustained stars for more than three years. Right. Um you know, I, I, you know, that's really what you're, what you're trying to find. I, I, what, what has happened is the systems, cause it's not one place. They're not coming from, you can regulate the, the states. Mm-hmm. So like with the amateur draft, there's tons of regulation now. Um, Major League Baseball has done a great job of trying to create a level playing field for all clubs. Like even from information and contact, you know, I, you know, I was, I was the guy that was in the house, you know, three times and, you know, I, I tell you what color wallpaper they had in the extra bathroom. You know, um, you know they're they've done a lot in to make sure that everybody 
kind of gets the same, you know, it has the same information. That's like creation of like the, uh, the PDP, the player development programs and such. Um, but now on the, on the international end of it, you've got so many pieces that are in place to acquire a player. Yeah. And I don't think like if, if people realize, you know, the system that's in place for these players mm-hmm. and the difficult, the, the hurdles that these kids face, I mean, we're talking, you're leaving your, like families will give their kids up at 12 or 13 yeah, to, the to academies. send them to an academy and you're giving your child up. And, yeah. and the hope is it's, it's for them to just not, it's, it's a, something better than what they've got ahead of them, right. you know? And so if they can make it through an academy and get signed and then end up at 16, you know, in one of the, in one of the MLB academies, um, and then they've got to get through that, you know, get through that, uh, that minefield and get to the United States. And, you know, they've already got technically, you know, three years, sometimes more professional everyday baseball under their belts by the time they get to a complex league. Yeah, right. And then it's two or three years on top of that. Um, you know, it's obviously the money in Latin America when you start to see the bonuses and that they that they pay out there's a lot of money that's being exchanged in latin america yeah regulating it is difficult because you've got you know somebody who's basically like the trainers or the 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 private academies yeah they spend two three four years that guy's spending money to develop the player to get him stronger to feed him Mm -hmm. to house him train him um and then major league you know and then you've got an agent a buscone there's a lot of people that end up getting paid off on it. So like, like say, I won't say a, a large number, but for $10, you know, kid gets $10, he ends up with three of it in his pocket. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I think that's, what's got to change. Um, you know, the, the other part of it is, is that you get, you know, once again, an Ameri- I've got a, I got a son that's a junior in high school is committed to a division one school. Nice. He goes to school at six o'clock in the morning, gets done with school at three, has practice, has games, has to lift weights. Oh yeah. He's also got to study because he's got to keep a 3.2 GPA or higher right. to even be able to get into college. And it's this constant wheel that the American kids have to deal with. Those kids are doing nothing but taking ground balls, swinging the bat, throwing right. the ball, eating, lifting, yeah. sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's not great environment, but they're taking more ground balls in a day than the average high school kid in the U.S. has taken in a week. Right. So it's also a, diff- a different perspective. When you scout players in Latin America, they're going to be a little bit more, you know, really more polished than the American player is going to be, or they're going to maybe have uh, different types of actions just because of the volume. That yeah. they've been exposed to, you know, and that's the difficult, the tricky part of it is, is the projection. Yeah. You know, um, we lose that a little bit. Like we pay so much attention to makeup in the United States, um, makeup and character. And you don't really have that. But the other part of it is hell, those kids haven't had a chance to develop it yet. You know, and those, those prime years are like 13 to, to 16 years of age. Mm-hmm. They're, they're men. They have to be men, you know. Yeah. And um, I think major league clubs have done a better job with the academies. I know we did a. I thought we did a tremendous job of it with uh, having, uh, you know, basically a, a high school set up for them in the academies where they would 
graduate from high school before they would come from, you know, from our high school program before they would come to the States, they would learn English. Uh, a lot of clubs are spending, are spending more attention to um, helping kids adapt to the United States when they get here, Yeah, you know, cause I think that's the biggest hurdle for them is it's the everyday life. I mean, you're all of a sudden you're dropped in a, you know, Phoenix, Arizona or Tampa, Florida or St. Lucie, Florida. And there's a lot of options and there's a lot of things there that weren't in Santa Domingo, mm-hmm. you know, and um, helping those kids adapt and, and cause we owe it to them, you know, we right. owe it to those kids to provide them, you know, a, a, a clean, safe transition, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, <clears throat> this one pertains specifically to, you know, t- not just the Mets, but the other 29 as well. Yeah. Obviously, right now, Tampa has, and specifically, the, you know, I, I, I use the Rays as an example because it, for a guy like you who lives and breathes scouting, player development, metrics, and how those can meet to, to make a wonderful thing on a lower cost – to me, Tampa has the best analytics, player development, and scouting department in baseball, and they should be the ones who are being mimicked, similar to how Oakland was during the Moneyball um, yeah. era. Um, do you agree that Tampa has probably right now the best system going, or is there another team that you know maybe maybe the Padres, the Dodgers, like someone else that you know we're forgetting about? I think from, you know, once again, scouting mm-hmm. is, you know, once, you know, you're limited to buy, like, like for years, everybody talked about Astros and how great they were at scouting. Yeah. And because of the picks that they had. Well, the reason why they had the picks is because they were wor- the worst team in baseball. You know? Yeah, right. Getting Carlos Correa because you were the worst team in baseball. You know, um, there's advantages to, to picking at the bottom. Yeah. What they've done, and and a number one, they lost, but they've lost two really good minds. All right, so MLB or the the other clubs, they're they are copying, yeah. you know, or they are taking away. Um, you know, we've seen it with the recent hire in, in Houston, and then obviously with Hyman in Boston. Yeah. Um, really, what it is, it's it's not that they're smarter; it's necessity. Right. You know, it's like I, I always say about like from a from a coaching perspective, um, you know, some places, bright and shiny, big time schools. It's not that hard to recruit at an SEC school, you know, right? because um, of everything that's available. What about that small college where you've got to get guys to, to you've got to make guys better? And that's kind of the, what I, I've always looked at the rate that. They've had they've been able to ID the right type of players that'll fit within their system. They have the right development plan in place to move those guys along. Mm-hmm. And what they value, like it's not you know if you trip upon or you're lucky enough to get a generational type player, it can make you look really good. Right. But they they hit on they they're the kings of the forties, forty fives, and fifties. And what I mean by that is the way we grade out players. Right. You know. Guys that are going to get to the big leagues or have some usefulness at the big league level, they do great in volume of that. Where they may not have 
you know, like I said, like a generational impact type talent that they produce right. or they draft, they're able to take that, find some trait and target it and then exploit that trait um, and do it for a minimal amount of money. Right. Um, and then also, like I said, what they've done at the major league level um, really is rethinking the game. Yeah. How do we adjust what we do to fit? Yeah, okay. You know what? I mean, like, like use the, use the Mets example with what they got rotation wise. They got six guys and three Cy Young awards vying for five rotation spots. Right. Tampa Bay ain't in that boat. You know what I'm saying? They've got okay. We've got two guys that could be, you know, you know, be like a two or three starter, and then we've got like three or four or five starters. Yeah. How do we Tom and Jerry this and create like a Swiss Army knife pitching staff right. that can get us to where we need to go? And, yeah. and, and maybe create some unconventional, you know, unconventional, um, you know, approach to the game, uh, which, which has worked for them. It's scrappy. And like I said, that 40, 40, 20 rule, you, if you've got that and you've got some depth and you've got guys that understand their roles and they execute at the end of the day, you execute in the major league level, you win baseball games. Oh yeah. Good teams, like good teams yeah. will beat talent, like good fundamental teams will be talent and they've they focused on that aspect of it where you know some teams don't they're just hey we got superstars and we're just going to get off the bus with better dudes than you you know yeah right i challenge people sometimes like hey name me their you know their lineup i i went over i saw tampa play i don't know probably about 10 times this year and i was amazed you know it it, it just the um creativity you yeah. know and what they did i'm in agreement with you. i think they did a great job I think that uh, I, I think of ball clubs like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm really a maker of lists and and buckets. All right, um, I think of baseball. I classify teams like the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. All right, <laughs> so like those top clubs. Yeah, they're forward. They're forward thinking. They've got money. They they think about what's next, not about what's now, and they're not afraid to fail. You cannot be afraid to fail in this game. They don't care. You know, and that's in the teams that you see like that are, you know, the Dodgers have been that way. The Yankees are that way. They're just quieter about it. Um, but they're, they're, the Astros have been that way. Yeah. Um, you know, over the past few years. And then that second vote, that's the majority of the clubs. And, and they're going to adapt and they're going to grow, but they follow, you know, baseball, we do a lot of copying and follow the pack. It's where the pack lives. Yeah. And, the, their biggest concern is just not being wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, like it's okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to adapt. We're going to do this. And it's like right now with technology, like all of a sudden there's this huge boom. You had like four or five clubs that were cutting edge. And now like every tweet from spring training got like edutronic camera, like high speed cameras, right. and, you know, all biomechanical labs and all this other stuff. And I, 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 I laugh at it. I'm like, Okay, that's not cutting edge. That's they're just they're trying to catch up. Yeah, it's following. You know, leader. like yeah, like where one club just you know they've got higher speed cameras and they think it's to like look have a better way to evaluate the player and slow the video down, and the other team is using that high speed video for markerless biomechanical analysis. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it, you know haves and have nots, and then you've got the third boat, which they're just trying to not crash into the damn rock. And what you can do in Major League Baseball, and you've seen it with a few clubs, 
specifically one in Ohio this year. Um, <laughs> you can buy your way from the back boat to the front boat. Yeah. All right. If you spend enough money, you can change the you can change the structure of what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't guarantee that you have success. Remember, every major league club has a, has an analytics department. Mm-hmm. Every major league club has an R and D department. Every major league club has incredible coaches and minds. Yep. All right. There's still a first place team <laughs> and a last place team. You've got to be able to create context, yep. and you've got to be able to have a message, a consistent message that works through the entire organization in order to reap the rewards of it. Yeah. And going back to your original point, I think Tampa Bay, their mission statement, that's the template of what a mid-size or a mid-smaller market team could pursue. Yeah. Big clubs, big clubs, they can, you know, we copy, you know, big, you know, large market teams will copy. But still at the end of the day, those, those, those corporations, it's still baseball, there's still ego. And, um, you know, they're still, they still got pocketbooks, man. They can spend yeah. money, you know, yeah. Tampa Bay can't, Tampa Bay can't absorb a $25 million contract. Right. It's not happening, you know? It's true. So they've got to get creative, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last question I have to for you, <clears throat> and again, this goes back to scouting, but specifically international, we've seen... Yeah. Obviously, Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic have always been the, I'll call it the Caribbean kind of staples of where to find talent. Is is it me, or is Curacao the most untapped resource for stud-level players in that region? Well, you're hitting on a good button there. I mean, like, Puerto Rico's kind of always been hit or miss. It's, it's a traditional, you know... Once again, there's rises and falls, you know, but I I spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico scouting and, and you have good players, but every once in a while, you, you, when you think about it from a population base of playing baseball, you're looking at Miami. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's not like, it's not like a tremendous amount of players. Right. So every four or five years, you'll have some kid that'll come out of there that has a chance to have a major impact. And then they'll produce a lot of, middle of the road, you know, kids that are, could be forties, you know, forties or 45. Right. Uh, the Dominican Republic is a hotbed because that's just, it's where it's at. It's where the academies are at. It's where major league baseball has invested the money. And the reason why they've done it is because of the instability in, in, um, Latin America. Yeah. You know, Venezuela and Colombia, um, you know, always produce tremendous baseball players, but with the unrest there and just the uncertainty, the ability to scout it, um, you know, where you got to kind of be almost a CIA agent to go down there. Um, <laughs> right. It, it makes it difficult. And then the other part of it is, man, Cuba. I don't know what's happened to Cuba, but um, th- their level of baseball has drastically fallen off over the past, you know, four or five years. Yeah. You've yeah. got, you know, still an impact player that, that can come over. But when you look at it from, uh, the league down there, and I, I, I do my best to try to follow as much Cuban baseball as, as I can. In fact, it's kind of like my last bucket list thing is to, is to go down there and spend some time. Yeah, I can do it now because I don't work for a club. Um, but, you know, the international team they've got, they have a tough time qualifying and winning games at tournaments right now. 
Yeah. So there's there's something going on down there, like a blip in their system, you hmm. know, and for whatever reason. I think that the, that the uh, you know, Kearsal, Bahamas, um, there are some tremendous athletes. Yeah. Because um, people, people forget that. that I work with, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just like even thinking back to the, the 80s and the 90s, you know, you have yeah. Andrew Jones, Hensley Mullins. You have guys coming yeah. from not only the Netherlands itself, but, the, you know, the Dutch yeah. territories that, you know, Andrew Jones for years, it was him and Griffey were, the, were probably the two best center fielders in the game. You know, yeah. running parallel to each other, you know, and now you have Bogarts, Gregorius, I mean, Kenley Jansen. I mean, the, the, the list, Yeah. It, even Jerickson Profar, who's an underperforming, you know, uh, uh, you know, by what his expectation was. But Jerickson Profar is still on a major league roster and is still starting at the major league level. So for what it's worth. I, I I'm not gonna call him a bust. I think he was overhyped at at best, but he's still here. Yeah. No, I, I think a number one, the biggest thing was accessibility. Mm-hmm. You know, um, saying we've got uh, one of uh, actually one of the guys I work with, one of our our entities that we own as a, a company called Prospect Wire, mm-hmm. and uh, Cliff Terracuso was a scout for a long time with the Rangers. He came over and, and uh, you know, and works with us. And he spent a lot of time in, in the Caribbean. And he actually just went down there. He's, he's working with some academies and some trainers down there. And we're bringing technology to the island. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, A, because it's, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a smarter way to train. Yeah. Uh, but also the impact that we've had with those players. I mean, also like the Lucius Foxes of the world and cats like that that are, you know, incredible athletes. The one thing that we have, I mean, the reality in the United States is this. There's a ton of baseball, mm-hmm. all right? And at the amateur level, you've got a lot of average to below average athletes. And when we say, like, average athletes, it, it, it's difficult, you know, to say that. But when we're grading athleticism, yeah. we're grading it on a major league standard. So, like, when you say, like, like when I think of, like, 80 athletes in my lifetime or guys that I've physically seen, yeah, like, I saw Bo Jackson play. Jesus. I saw, I, you know, I, I saw Deion Sanders play. I was teammates with Terrell Buckley. Hmm. Those cats were 80 athletes, all right? Right. Th- those guys don't exist, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> there's one or two. Athleticism and tools play. So, oh, when yeah. you're looking at 18-year-old kids, you know, and you can grab one for you can grab one in the Caribbean. Now, obviously, the cost has gone up. Like Mr. Lucius Fox, he got paid a pretty penny to to sign internationally. Yeah. But where you could go down there and for a reasonable amount of money get talent for maybe uh, you know like half of the price of what that same talent would cost in the United States in the draft. Right. You know, and and that was the big draw of it for a long time, and now. But like I said, in some cases, we're spending as much or more money in, in international signings than we are in the amateur draft. Right. So there is more focus on that. But it's also the world's become smaller, man. I can get on Twitter. I can get on my phone. Like I said, we're taking technology down there. Cliff took a – they did a two-day, you know, like a two-day workout down there. Mm-hmm. And he can live stream kids hitting BP. 
and I can pull the metrics from it. So I can sit there and already vet and go, okay, here are the guys that can produce 100-mile-an-hour exit velocity in batting practice today. Yeah. Circle that guy. Mm-hmm. That's the guy we want. You know, or we can use like they like when he went down there last time. He was introducing like our, our uh, capture machines, and then also um, you know like swing sensors, and that's the same idea. Those young kids down there, we can ID it a little bit sooner, so that they and also help them from a development standpoint to say, hey, listen, you've got a trait, you can get yourself, you know, you can you can put yourself in a better position. But there's just not like there's not the type of athlete yeah. playing our game. You know, if I, 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 in a loving way, you know, our game, baseball is becoming golf. All right. <laughs> it's expensive. It, listen, it's expensive. True. It's really white. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's inaccessible at a lot of levels for a lot of kids. Yeah. You know, including the collegiate game. I, I, I hope that, you know, I think one of the biggest things rather than changing the rules would be if Major League Baseball. You know, they've made some great initiatives. I've taken part in the PDP, uh, the EDI program, which is like the extension of RBI, mm-hmm. which was an incredible program with some of the great, you know, uh, some of the great African-American Latin players uh, for a week in Vero with, with some great kids down there. Yeah. But instead of looking at, looking at it as a global perspective, how do we make it more affordable for kids to play baseball right. on a regular basis rather than showcases how do we uh engage players and provide better like for us like our you know we just don't deal in the college end of it we we have a, an amateur wing and um you know like right now we're in development of, of an app that not only you know is they like the idea is it would call it player mapping yeah so like when a kid's seven eight years old I'm going to tell you, in the next two years, there's going to be a swing. Every kid that buys a bat, there'll be a, there'll be a microchip in it. There'll oh, be yeah. a swing sure. sensor in the bat. It'll, it'll just be what they do. Yeah. And But when that kid first starts playing baseball, how do we engage that kid on a daily basis? And, and the way we looked at it is it's kind of a blend of, of social media and, 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 uh, and gaming and different aspects to keep kids engaged and communicating with each other. Uh, provide them good information, provide them affordable ways to be able to get better and to play the game. Right. And, but also for them to be able to track their progress as they go their entire, their entire baseball career. You know, the other part of it is, is that because of, you know, the showcase landscape, even though I say this, we, we own showcase clubs and there's things that I don't like about it and we're trying to change, but yeah. you know, the, the truth of it is, if the highest level that you get to play is high school baseball, then yeah. you accomplish something. That means something. And in some areas, like like where I live in Central Florida, you know, I know kids that'll get drafted in a late round, and other kids will like say, "What's wrong? What happened?" <laughs> you know, like "What's wrong with you?" Or they think less of the kid, and they don't understand because it's there's so much density of baseball in that area. Right. And because everybody participates with this notion that they're going to be a big leaguer and the expectation that they're going to be a big leaguer, a division one player, or SEC player. Yeah. There's such a letdown that it just takes the wind out of their sails. Right. One of the, I was very fortunate to be in Europe, uh, coaching baseball and working with MLB, uh, for, for about a, a little over a year. Um, I don't know, about 15 years ago. And what I loved about it was, 
it was pure. So I got to go to the Netherlands and Germany and Italy and, and see, you know, those leagues and how they develop players right. and help develop their programs. But what I really took from it was when they showed up at practice and they showed up for a game, mm-hmm. they weren't there to impress a scout or a coach. They were there to play and compete and get better right. and have fun. And the more being the being able to bring that back is incredibly important. And you know, like I said, I got a, I got a son that's a junior in high school. Every single game he's played from the time he was ten years old, there was a ranking. They were judging him. Every time he played from the age he was thirteen, yeah, he's being judged by coaches, by scouts. Yeah. And you never <clears throat> have the chance, the freedom to fail. Latin American players, this is the beauty of it. They have the freedom to fail. Because the eyes are on them, it's, there's a lot of pressure during a short time span, but they grow up with this freedom and this fun, and that's why, like you, when you watch like a winter league game, or like I love going to Puerto Rico and, and interacting and and being part of baseball in Puerto Rico, because it's so much fun, you know. And and if we can incorporate more of that into our country, the better off it's going to be, you know. Right. I got off track there a little bit, but you got me rolling on. Uh, yeah. No, no big deal. No, trust me, no big deal. Nobody's complaining on this side. Definitely not. (laughs) Um. So yeah, I think we we ran through our our course of questions, and again, from the tech standpoint, the scouting, the the expertise of it, it's it's it, it really is fascinating, and and I would hope that the even the Fairweather fan who even if they flip on MLB Network. And you see, you know, a Statcast replay, or if you're watching a guy, or for the you know the in-depth fan like you know myself and E, who can watch a guy like Andrelton Simmons, and can build a Hall of Fame case for him based off his UZR and DRS stats. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I love how baseball just as a game has so many layers to it that I I don't think the other big four or big five in this country can really offer you um it it really is fascinating i would encourage anyone listening to this show to not only look at baseball cloud because i'm sure diving into your company's like kind of material and what you guys are doing is fascinating but even at at the more quote-unquote retail level like next time you're in a dick sporting goods and you see not only the blast sensors that are on sale for your bat or even now the bat fitting system they have that runs through, I think it's pro tracks. Um, yeah. Or your hit tracks. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's fascinating stuff and it's the same tech that you see in a golf shop. And now, you know, hockey's been doing it and even basketball, the, you know, any sport that has a combine is, is looking to measure these intangibles baseball. It just, there's so many different layers to it. It really is fascinating. But well, John, and the beauty, the beauty, the beauty with baseball yeah, you know, different from football and basketball. Football and basketball are athleticism first. If you don't have yeah. the athleticism, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Yeah. The beauty of baseball is, and being able to use the technology, <coughs> is that you can take a guy that's a below average athlete. Yeah. And he can work himself into a position where he can compete and and thrive. There are guys at the big league level that are, I mean, I, I, I've been, like I said, been fortunate enough to just not scout, but also coach several major leaguers. Yeah. And, you know, that guys that aren't, you know, they're, they're slow, 
they're I don't want to say fat, but they're they're big boned. Yeah. All right. Um, but they do one thing really well. Yeah. And what you can do with the technology is ID what you do really well, and then use the technology to help bring up the things that you maybe need to improve on a little bit. Yeah. But also learn to exploit that one tool that you got. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of guys in the big league that can only do one thing. Mm-hmm. All right. And and that's really the idea behind it. I had a I had a I was at a workout a couple of weeks ago. There's like this 14 year old kid, and he 14 15 year old kid, just you know 5'11", 150 pounds, left handed pitcher. He's throwing like 73 74 miles an hour. And there's these other kids there that are just fighter jets. You know, they're uh-huh. mid 80s. Couple kids bumping 90. But this kid, this little left hander, spins his breaking ball. Yeah. And it's elite. It's good. I'm getting like 3,800 spin rate on it with like, you know, like almost, yeah, like 80% efficiency. It's just unreal. Yeah. So like the kid gets done and he, he looks like he's, he's still, you know, he doesn't have any confidence in it. And he kind of, I waved the kid over and I looked and there's like 60 kids at this workout. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you something. I go, if I had to bet money on every, all these kids here, the one that can get to the big leagues mm-hmm. is you. And the kids started to laugh. And I said, let me show you why. Yeah, And then we went over to the pad and booted it up. And I said, do you see what you do? You do something that major leaguers can't do. The only thing that you've got to do over the next three, four, five, six years, you know, work your butt off. Yeah, Get yourself a little bit stronger. Stick with this game. Don't put mm-hmm. the fact that you don't throw hard now, you know, keep you from pursuing this game with everything that you've got. Yeah. Because you can manufacture velocity these days. Mm-hmm. But yeah. – you have a you have a trait that's elite. Oh yeah. You know, and you have you have value, and that's where I think the cool part of it is is engaging the kids in that way, rather than looking at it and, and judging them and putting them on a list, because I think sometimes that shoots them away. Yeah. It's looking for the things that they do well, and then helping them, you know, build that you know build that single tool. Yeah. You know. Well, John, we we thank you so much for spending the time with us to come on and break all this down. You know, this is the type of material and and level of knowledge about the game that we we're trying to provide our listeners here for for the Take It Deep podcast and just Jones and for sports in general. Um, is there anywhere where our listeners and our audience can find any um, social media, or if they're curious about baseball cloud? Um, are you guys on social media? I would assume yes, but if you know, plug your company by all means. All right, sure. Yeah, um, for for baseball clouds, pretty simple. Uh, baseballcloud.com. Um, you know, you'll see us out at, if you follow college games and college software. Softball cloud as well. We deal with with uh, the with the Power Five Division One nice. softball schools right now. Uh, from a social media standpoint, we've got. Uh, let's see here. Uh, for, for Twitter, uh, you can follow Baseball Cloud at, at uh, Baseball Cloud uh, US. Mm-hmm. Um, for mine, uh, it's pretty simple. It's at Updike J33. Um, you know, like, like I said, follow us on that. We've got we 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 have a lot of uh, excerpts that we put up from a video standpoint that try to educate the public on nice. it, you know, and also the players and parents. On the different machines, the the technology, uh, the terms, and what they really really need to understand about them, and kind of break break some things down to once again make things easier to understand and easier to digest. Beautiful. 
All right. Well, like I said, we we appreciate you coming on with us and spending you know the last hour and change with us. We love. I know myself and E. We loved every second of this. Um, you know, we, we can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Not a problem. You have a great rest of your night. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. And yeah, that was a hell of an interview with John Updike. A lot of information to digest and <coughs> you know process there. But if you if you love baseball the way myself, E and and the guys and you know our MLB home run hitters Facebook group do, this is right up your alley. This is baseball porn, and it's baseball porn in in that 1080p, not that shitty 1980s low quality. This is high quality shit. You, you look like and, your brain he, hurts. But I, I can honestly give it to you. To me, he, he simplified it a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's like I the human embodiment of his own company. You know, watching, watching MLB Network and, yeah. you know, when they talk all that analytics and stuff, I just, I'm I'm not going to lie. There's times I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, he simplified it, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, I, think, and I think that's what you need to do, especially how everybody says, Baseball's trying to bring in a younger fan. Uh-huh. You know, younger fans. Yeah. What better way to bring them these, you know, these analytics in a easier way? And like what he brought up with technology, everything is so accessible on your phone. Right. To be able to see it on your phone a lot easier and understand it more. Yeah. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah. But uh, you can go find Take It Deep on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook and our Jones, all the Jones yep, and all the Jones platform. Sports pages. Yep, definitely, yep. definitely go find those if you haven't already. Uh, yeah, let's put a bow tie on it there. Yeah, for myself, my co-host E. This is Take It Deep. We out.